Welcome to the Chapman CG podcast series, inspiring and informative conversations with top HR leaders from around the world. So I'm here with Cindy Davies, Senior Vice President of Talent and Development at Thomson Reuters to talk a little bit more about agile working and some of the challenges that organizations are facing. Cindy, great to have you on. How are you doing? Thanks, Tim. Very good, thank you. And uh, great to be with you today. Great. So tell me a bit more about your role at Thomson Reuters. Sure. So I've, uh, for those of you who may or may not know Thomson Reuters, it's a global news information and software company. And in my current capacity, I'm responsible for um, our enterprise-wide approaches to a number of things, um, but that includes talent management, talent development, and performance management. And I've been with the business for about 14 years. And in terms of agile working, how do you see agile working potentially changing the fundamentals of the current way of working? Mm, good question. Well, I mean, let me start by saying that I'm still developing my expertise in Agile. So if anyone's listening to this podcast and they've got experiences to share, then I'd love to connect with you. But I guess I would make a distinction between startups versus large or more mature companies. So for many startups, especially in the tech sector, Agile ways of working are pretty much par for the course, um, often because startups don't have many resources, and so the people they have need to be very versatile. Also in startups, I think it's much easier to collaborate because you're often co-located and you, you pretty much know everybody by name. Whereas, for example, in my company or in larger or more mature organizations, moving to Agile can represent quite a profound shift in how work gets done. So I'll give you a few examples um, as I understand it. So firstly, if you're working in an Agile way, you know, the work is no longer delivered by fixed management hierarchies with sort of handoffs between teams. Instead, you have multidisciplinary project teams who start with dedicated team members and who come together to solve a particular problem or to deliver a task, and then they disband after completion. So this changes the notion of a fixed job description that you hire someone for, and often these teams are self-managing. So it also changes the role of a line manager. And then last but not least, Agile also requires a change in some key business processes. So things like how you allocate capital, how you allocate resources, and how you measure overall company performance. So does that give you a flavor? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, really, really interesting. And, and yeah, there's lots of, clearly lots of different angles angles to it. But look, the, the technology sector seems to be the most advanced in, in this area. What, what do you think we can learn from tech companies? Sure. I mean, yes, as I understand it, the Agile movement was born out of the software development sector. And I think in reaction to, at the time, what was the prevailing system of change or project management, which was known as the waterfall approach. And this approach meant that work was delivered in a very sequential way, often with very rigid project plans, with long lead times. And ultimately, the waterfall approach assumed the world was predictable, which we know it's not. So I think it's quite a, a sweet story, but there was apparently a group of IT professionals who got together, I think way back in 2001, to figure out a better way to work with change. And this led to the now famous Agile Manifesto, which if you haven't read it, makes for a pretty interesting and an easy read. And the manifesto set out um, some guiding principles as to how work should get done. And I was struck just by how relevant these principles could be to a broad range of industries. And you can already see examples of that. So I've come across banks, professional services firms, insurance companies, manufacturing companies, 
companies, you know, you name it, big pharma, retail companies who are all experimenting with Agile in different ways. But here are some examples that I've seen of how Agile plays out, you know, outside of the pure sort of software development space. So the first area, which is probably the most obvious, is, is how companies develop products and services. So instead of, you know, functional teams working in silos where they have handoffs between them to build products, you have these multidisciplinary teams consisting of marketing, you know, product managers, customer support, etc., who work jointly and simultaneously on how to develop a product. And in addition to that, they iterate the product based on regular customer feedback as part of the development process. So if you like, the goal is to launch the minimum viable product so that you get speed to market. And then once it's out there, you enhance it. Uh, another example I can think of is, in an agile way, how to improve the overall customer experience. And obviously, that applies to multiple types of companies. So, you know, customers may interact uh, with a company in a variety of ways. You know, they might touch the sales team, a customer touches the billing team, you know, throughout their buying life cycle. In a traditional way of solving customer pain points, again, you have teams in silos who are looking at how they can improve their touch point with a customer, whereas in an agile way, you bring together cross-functional teams and they look holistically at the overall customer experience and how to improve it. And the obvious benefit there is not just, you know, ideally improve customer loyalty, but you can also find cost-effective ways of how to service the customer faster. So those, in my mind, are, you know, some of the kind of non-tech, if you like, examples of, you know, how we can learn from the tech sector in a broad range of industries. Yeah, absolutely. And that customer centricity is, is certainly, uh, you know, transferable and relevant across all industries, isn't it? How critical, then, is, is leadership ethos in, in this change and, and driving this change? And what are some of the challenges with getting the leadership buy-in? Well, good question. I mean, I think, you know, so agile implies fundamental change to the traditional role of management. So by that I mean, you know, if you think about traditional management, it emphasizes things like command and control, whereas agile leadership emphasizes intrinsic motivation, it emphasizes experimentation, and, and you know, actually it embraces failure. Communication in traditional management is usually top-down, it's pretty secretive, whereas in an agile context, communication is much more upward, it's much more free-flowing. And you may have come across the term servant leadership in agile, which is basically where managers are empowering employees and teams to decide their own performance, their own success, but then they do hold them fully accountable for those results. And often that means fewer layers of management. So instead of delegating and monitoring, a manager becomes, in effect, a performance coach, which may not appeal to everyone. So in terms of getting leadership buy-in to your question, I think it all depends on the prevailing leadership culture of the business. So if more traditional in nature, then there might naturally be resistance. What I've found is one key way to get buy-in is really to prove the business case for change. For example, you know, what's the benefit of increasing speed to market by working in an agile way? Or what's the, the benefit of reducing error rates by working in an agile way? Way or ultimately how to improve customer retention. 
So, you know, number one, establish the business case, well, otherwise don't do it. Second thing I would suggest is get your leaders to go talk to other companies who are implementing Agile to learn about their experiences. You know, there's no substitute in my mind for leader-to-leader -leader conversations, right, to learn. And then lastly, I would suggest with starting with pilots, I think it's important to pick your spots in terms of where to start with Agile. But once you've picked your spots, set those projects up right and then watch them closely to really assess the impact. I don't know of any company that has moved, you know, particularly large, mature companies, I don't know of any company that's moved to Agile in one big bang. You know, by having pilots, it allows you to test and learn. In other words, you know, take an Agile approach to becoming Agile. So in short, I'd say you need real leadership commitments and a persistence to shift an organization's mindset, and this can't just be an HR-only initiative. Really interesting and, and accurate, I think, uh, for sure. I mean, obviously, HR does have a role to play mm -hmm. from the top down, but you know, what, what is the role specifically of a you know, talent management function in this new Agile way of working? Well, great, great point. I mean, for sure, HR, I think, has to be a key enabler, right, of organizations moving or wanting to move to Agile. And I would say it's all of HR that would need to be enabler, uh, not just a, a talent management function. Um, but firstly, let me say, not every job or process suits Agile. You know, you need some jobs that are rules-based, right? For example, you know, how you file statutory accounts or, you know, how you're ensuring regulatory compliance. So in those cases, you know, more agile talent management practices may not apply. But for other types of work, you know, here are some thoughts around how do you make talent management in its broadest sense more agile. And really, I'll, I'll highlight five kind of key areas. The first one is around resource allocation. So how do you allocate people to work. In an agile world, you really need dynamic resource allocation. So I mentioned these multidisciplinary project teams, but how do you find them? You know, how do you find those team members inside the company with the right skills? And then how you manage the flow of talent from one project to the next. So, you know, some projects might be short sprints, for example, one month. Other projects could be multi-year. Regardless, you know, the talent is dedicated full-time to those projects. It also means relying more heavily on technology to find candidates who are more suited to working in an agile environment. Not everybody likes the notion of not having a fixed job description. You know, some people want to have more structure, if you like, of what they do every day. And as I mentioned earlier, some types of roles, particularly if they're pretty niche in their expertise, tend to focus on that full time. Nonetheless, as it relates to resource allocation, you know, there are a lot of companies out there, my own included, who are starting to experiment with internal online talent marketplaces, which is really about giving employees visibility on what these projects are and then the ability to opt into those projects versus, if you like, the usual line manager or HR identification of people for these projects. So that's the first, you know, example, which is around resource allocation. The second area, and we all love this topic, I know, is around performance management. The point being here, you know, the notion of annual goal setting and annual performance reviews just don't work in an agile, in an agile context because we're now talking not just about individual performance but also about team performance. And so that implies team-based goals, team-based success measures. It also implies more rapid feedback mechanisms, which could be peer-to-peer, team-to-team, 
in addition to the usual manager to employee feedback. And one of the big shifts that I see in performance management in Agile is moving away from, you know, Peter Drucker and management by objectives to what we call objectives and key results or OKRs. And what that means is instead of everyone moving along their own path fairly independently, OKRs help unify the whole company towards one common direction. And this North Star, if you like, is non-negotiable. However, teams are empowered to set their own objectives in line with that North Star. Everyone is clear on the key results needed, and then teams can self-manage to achieve those results. The third area I'd highlight is coaching. You know, this is about how do you give managers, project leads of agile project teams, and the agile teams themselves the real-time coaching they need because they are going to run into issues, no question. And, you know, humans are humans. Managers could default to those more traditional management styles, which may disempower, you know, their teams to perform. So, you know, companies, companies that I see that are, you know, making strides in moving to agile, you know, one of the success criteria is having internal agile coaches, right, who can kind of shadow these teams and, you know, help them navigate through. That. The fourth area is learning and development. You need to train people to work in an agile environment, particularly if they are in a more traditional, mature, sort of matrixed hierarchy. And that training, you know, should include multiple levels of leadership. And then the last area that I'd highlight is reward. So the way we pay people in an agile context would need to change. You know, traditionally we emphasize the individual in terms of, you know, their salary, their bonus and other forms of pay. Whereas in agile, the team becomes all important. So how do you think about team-based rewards. And then we know that rewards, be they financial or non-financial, they work best when applied as soon as possible after desired behavior. So how and when we allocate rewards needs to be more dynamic. So I'm sure there are many other considerations, but those would be the five things kind of broadly in the talent management space that I would highlight uh, that we need to think about. Right. And yeah, clearly very multi, you know, multifaceted approach is needed, isn't it? And I like your idea mm. of the, the, you know, the North Star, the, the purpose that sort of glues everyone together and galvanizes the teams when they're empowered. So I think that, that, that purpose piece is, is critical as well, isn't it? Um, exactly, so for sure. We, so, um, and what we're saying is we're, we're, we're needing to rewire uh, people practices to, to reinforce this, this different new way of working. What are some of the building blocks, quick wins to kickstart this? If anyone's listening and, and wondering, what can I do in my organization to, to really get the ball rolling? Well, I mean, I'd say, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you've got to get leadership buy-in, right? But let's assume you've got that. Let's say your leaders are on board. They want to go off to the races. So to your point, where do you start? So firstly, I think it's pretty daunting to try and rewire established people practices across the whole of a large company. So instead of trying to boil the ocean, you could start with, you know, those pilots that I mentioned. So imagine a world where you want to move to agile, you've picked your spots in terms of where you want to play, you're now setting up pilots in terms of how to get the work done. I would start there in terms of, you know, examining those people practices that I mentioned earlier and how you might need to rewire them to to support those pilots. I'd also suggest that 
when you're looking at rewiring those people practices, you know, take the liberty of engaging directly with those pilot teams and their leadership on how to reshape those practices. So in other words, don't go off into a darkened room and put a cold towel on your head. Co-create those practices with the business because you're going to get more buy-in. And frankly, you know, those are the, the users that are at the coalface, as it were. So I think that there's opportunity there in terms of the way that HR works, you know, to, if you like, design those products in the HR space and involve the business directly in doing it. So I don't know if that's, um, if that's both reassuring or, you know, sets alarm bells running, but that's how I would go after it. Yeah, that's good advice. Absolutely. Crystal ball time. Where do you, where do you see, <laughs> where do you see agile working in five, ten years time? Well, Tim, I have to say, I can barely predict what will happen in the next 12 months, let alone five to 10 years' time. I mean, you know, you and I both know, right, the world of work is changing so fast, be that through the gig economy, be that through automation, be that through other, you know, social factors at play. And as I mentioned earlier, there are already many companies who are already adopting those agile practices that are fit for purpose for their context. Look, I mean, I fundamentally believe that the notion of self-managed teams who are truly empowered to innovate for customers will unlock significant productivity and job satisfaction. And so therefore, my hope rather than a prediction is that agile will become the de facto way of working regardless of how you label it. So apologies is a bit of a get out of jail card there. I didn't give you a prediction, uh, but rather my hope. That's fine. We'll let you off and do that. I think it's difficult to predict, but I'm, I'm sure it's only going to go in one direction. And I guess from our side, we're we're seeing a lot of the more traditional industries struggling to adapt, actually. And, and you know, that is having a bit of a knock-on effect on, on the type of talent that they can attract. So, you know, I, I think that's got to change going forward, really. So it'll be interesting uh, interesting to, to do this again in five years and see where we're up to. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, Cindy. That was Cindy Davies, Senior Vice President of Talent and Development at Thomson Reuters, talking about agile working. For more excellent conversations from Chapman CG, subscribe to our podcast series or check us out at chapmancg.com.